0: chapter 6 of the man-eaters of savo this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the man-eaters of savo by j h patterson chapter 6 the reign of terror the lions seemed to have got a bad fright the night brock and i sat up in wait for them in the goods wagon for they kept away from Tsavo, and did not molest us in any way for some considerable time. Not, in fact, until long after Brock had left me and gone on safari, a caravan journey, to Uganda. In this breathing space which they vouchsafed us, it occurred to me that should they renew their attacks, a trap would perhaps offer the best chance of getting at them, and that if I could construct one in which a couple of coolies might be used as bait, without being subjected to any danger, the lions would be quite daring enough to enter it, in search of them, and thus be caught. I accordingly set to work at once, and in a short time managed to make a sufficiently strong trap out of wooden sleepers, tram-rails, pieces of telegraph wire, and a length of heavy chain. It was divided into two compartments, one for the men and one for the lion. A sliding door at one end admitted the former, and once inside this compartment they were perfectly safe as between them and the lion if he entered the other ran a cross wall of iron rails only three inches apart and imbedded both top and bottom in heavy wooden sleepers the door which was to admit the lion was of course at the opposite end of the structure but otherwise the whole thing was very much on the principle of the ordinary rat-trap except that it was not necessary for the lion to seize the bait in order to send the door clattering down. This part of the contrivance was arranged in the following manner. A heavy chain was secured along the top part of the lion's doorway, the ends hanging down to the ground on either side of the opening, and to these were fastened, strongly secured by stout wire, short lengths of rails placed about six inches apart. This made a sort of flexible door, which could be packed into a small space when not in use and which abutted against the top of the doorway when lifted up. The door was held in this position by a lever made of a piece of rail, which in turn was kept in its place by a wire fastened to one end, and passing down to a spring concealed in the ground inside the cage. As soon as the lion entered sufficiently far into the trap, he would be bound to tread on the spring. His weight on this would release the wire, and in an instant down would come the door behind him and he could not push it out in any way, as it fell into a groove between two rails firmly embedded in the ground. In making this trap, which cost us a lot of work, we were rather at a loss for want of tools to bore holes in the rails for the doorway, so as to enable them to be fastened by the wire to the chain. It occurred to me, however, that a hard-nosed bullet from my three hundred three would penetrate the iron, and on making the experiment, I was glad to find that a hole was made as cleanly as if it had been punched out. When the trap was ready, I pitched a tent over it, in order further to deceive the lions, and built an exceedingly strong boma round it. One small entrance was made at the back of the enclosure for the men, which they were to close on going in by pulling a bush after them, and another entrance just in front of the door of the cage was left open for the lions. The wiseacres to whom I showed my invention were generally of the opinion that the man-eaters would be too cunning to walk into my parlor, but, as will be seen later, their predictions proved false. For the first few nights I baited the trap myself, but nothing happened except that I had a very sleepless and uncomfortable time, and was badly bitten by mosquitoes. As a matter of fact, it was some months before the lions attacked us again, though from time to time we heard of their depredations in other quarters. Not long after our night in the goods wagon, two men were carried off from railhead, while another was taken from a place called Engomani, about ten miles away. Within a very short time, this latter place was again visited by the brutes, two more men being seized, one of whom was killed and eaten, and the other so badly mauled that he died within few days. As I have said, however, we at Tsavo enjoyed complete immunity from attack, and the coolies, believing that their dreaded foes had permanently deserted the district, resumed all their usual habits and occupations, and life in the camps returned to its normal routine. At last, we were suddenly startled out of this feeling of security. One dark night, the familiar terror-stricken cries and screams woke the camps, and we knew that the demons had returned And had commenced a new list of victims. On this occasion, a number of men had been sleeping outside their tents for the sake of coolness, thinking, of course, that the lions had gone for good, when suddenly in the middle of the night one of the brutes was discovered forcing his way through the boma. The alarm was at once given, and sticks, stones, and firebrands were hurled in the direction of the intruder. All was of no avail, however for the lion burst into the midst of the terrified group, seized an unfortunate wretch amid the cries and shrieks of his companions, and dragged him off through the thick thorn fence. He was joined outside by the second lion, and so daring had the two brutes become, that they did not trouble to carry their victim any further away, but devoured him within thirty yards of the tent where he had been seized although several shots were fired in their direction by the jemadar of the gang to which the coolie belonged they took no notice of these and did not attempt to move until their horrible meal was finished the few scattered fragments that remained of the body i would not allow to be buried at once hoping that the lions would return to the spot the following night and on the chance of this i took up my station at nightfall in a convenient tree Nothing occurred to break the monotony of my watch, however, except that I had a visit from a hyena, and the next morning I learned that the lions had attacked another camp about two miles from Savo, for by this time the camps were again scattered, as I had works in progress all up and down the line. There the man-eaters had been successful in obtaining a victim, whom, as in the previous instance, they devoured quite close to the camp. How they forced their way through the bomas without making a noise was, and still is, a mystery to me. I should have thought that it was next to impossible for an animal to get through it all. Yet they continually did so, and without a sound being heard. After this occurrence I sat up every night for over a week near likely camps, but all in vain. Either the lion saw me and then went elsewhere, or else I was unlucky, for they took man after man from different places without ever once giving me a chance of a shot at them. This constant night-watching was most dreary and fatiguing work, but I felt that it was a duty that had to be undertaken, as the men naturally looked to me for protection. In the whole of my life I have never experienced anything more nerve-shaking than to hear the deep roars of those dreadful monsters growing gradually nearer and nearer, and to know that some one or other of us was doomed to be their victim before morning dawned. Once they reached the vicinity of the camps, the roars completely ceased, and we knew that they were stalking for their prey. Shouts would then pass from camp to camp, "Karbardar, dar Bayan! Shaitan! Atta! Beware, brothers, the devil is coming! But the warning cries would prove of no avail, and sooner or later agonizing shrieks would break the silence, and another man would be missing from roll-call next morning. I was naturally very disheartened at being foiled in this way night after night, and was soon at my wit's end to know what to do. It seemed as if the lions were really devils, after all, and bore a charmed life. As I have said before, tracking them through the jungle was a hopeless task, but as something had to be done to keep up the men's spirits, I spent many a weary day crawling on my hands and knees through the dense undergrowth of the exasperating wilderness around us. As a matter of fact, if I had come up with the lions on any of these expeditions, it was much more likely that they would have added me to their list of victims than that I should have succeeded in killing either of them, as everything would have been in their favor. About this time, too, I had many helpers and several officers, civil, naval, and military, come to Savo from the coast, and sat up night after night in order to get a shot at our daring foes. All of us, however, met with the same lack of success, and the lions always seemed capable of avoiding the watchers, while succeeding at the same time in obtaining a victim. I have a very vivid recollection of one particular night when the brute seized a man from the railway station and brought him close to my camp to devour. I could plainly hear them crunching the bones, and the sound of their dreadful purring filled the air and rang in my ears for days afterwards. The terrible thing was to feel so helpless. It was useless to attempt to go out, as of course the poor fellow was dead, and in addition it was so pitch-dark as to make it impossible to see anything. Some half-a-dozen workmen, who lived in a small enclosure close to mine, became so terrified on hearing the lions at their meal, that they shouted and implored me to allow them to come inside my boma. This I willingly did, but soon afterwards I remembered that one man had been lying ill in their camp, and on making enquiry I found that they had callously left him behind alone. I immediately took some men with me to bring him to my boma, but on entering his tent I saw by the light of the lantern that the poor fellow was beyond need of safety. He had died of shock at being deserted by his companions. From this time matters gradually became worse and worse. Hitherto, as a rule, only one of the man-eaters had made the attack and had done the foraging, while the other waited outside in the bush. But now they began to change their tactics, entering the bomas together and each seizing a victim in this way two swahili porters were killed during the last week of november one being immediately carried off and devoured the other was heard moaning for a long time and when his terrified companions at last summoned up sufficient courage to go to his assistance they found him stuck fast in the bushes of the boma through which for once the lion had apparently been unable to drag him he was still alive when i saw him next morning but so terribly mauled that he died before he could be got to the hospital. Within a few days of this the two brutes made a most ferocious attack on the largest camp in the section, which for safety's sake was situated within a stone's throw of Savo Station and close to a permanent way inspector's iron hut. Suddenly, in the dead of night, the two man-eaters burst in among the terrified workmen, and even from my boma, some distance away, i could plainly hear the panic-stricken shrieking of the coolies then followed cries of they've taken him they've taken him as the brutes carried off their unfortunate victim and began their horrible feast close beside the camp the inspector mr fired over fifty shots in the direction in which he heard the lions but they were not to be frightened and calmly lay there until their meal was finished after examining the spot in the morning we at once set out to follow the brutes, Mr. Dalgern's feeling confident that he had wounded one of them, as there was a trail on the sand like that of the toes of a broken limb. After some careful stalking, we suddenly found ourselves in the vicinity of the lions, and were greeted with ominous growlings. Cautiously advancing and pushing the bushes aside, we saw in the gloom what we at first took to be a lion cub. Closer inspection, however, showed it to be the remains of the unfortunate coolie, which the man-eaters had evidently abandoned at our approach. The legs, one arm, and half the body had been eaten, and it was the stiff fingers of the other arm trailing along the sand which had left the marks we had taken to be the trail of a wounded lion. By this time the beasts had retired far into the thick jungle, where it was impossible to follow them, so we had the remains of the coolie buried, and once more returned home disappointed. Now the bravest man in the world, much less the ordinary Indian coolie, will not stand constant terrors of this sort indefinitely. The whole district was by this time thoroughly panic-stricken, and I was not at all surprised, therefore, to find on my return to camp that same afternoon, December 1, that the men had all struck work and were waiting to speak to me. When I sent for them, they flocked to my boma in a body and stated that they would not remain at tsavo any longer for anything or anybody they had come from india on an agreement to work for the government not to supply food for either lions or devils no sooner had they delivered this ultimatum than a regular stampede took place some hundreds of them stopped the first passing train by throwing themselves on the rails in front of the engine and then swarming on to the trucks and throwing in their possessions anyhow, they fled from the accursed spot. After this the railway works were completely stopped, and for the next three weeks practically nothing was done but build lion-proof huts for those workmen who had sufficient courage to remain. It was a strange and amusing sight to see these shelters perched on the top of water-tanks, roofs, and girders, anywhere for safety, while some even went so far as to dig pits inside their tents into which they descended at night covering the top over with heavy logs of wood every good-sized tree in the camp had as many beds latched onto it as its branches could bear and sometimes more i remember that one night when the camp was attacked so many men swarmed on to one particular tree that down it came with a crash hurling its terror-stricken load of shrieking coolies Close to the very lions they were trying to avoid. Fortunately for them, a victim had already been secured, and the brutes were too busy devouring him to pay attention to anything else. End of chapter 6. Recording by Tricia G.